You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Are you needing a safe space to learn how you can get your mind right, Lewis? Yes, right now. Uh, you have never spoken to me more. Yes. <laughs> well, tune into Imani's State of Mind, a weekly podcast hosted by psychiatrist and TV personality Dr. Imani Walker and co-host comedian Meg Scoop Thomas, two smart and successful women and mothers sharing their personal and professional experiences to help normalize conversations about mental health. And let me tell you something. I love people with Scoop in their name. Oh, Sure. Megan Fatman, the only two I know, but... I was going to say, uh, I'm thinking of Lose Control with Missy Elliott. That's, the, that's right. Yeah. And if you've lost control, then you should probably get your state of mind together. So, this is not your average mental health show. Each week, they break down what's happening in news, pop culture, and their very own experiences managing mental health. Together, you will laugh, keep it real, and create a safe space where everyone can help get their issues together. Nothing is off the table. Dr. Imani Walker and Meg Scoot Thomas discuss everything from relationships with yourself, your spouse, and your parents to the realities of postpartum depression and anxiety. Do not forget to take a deep breath, find your calm, and get into Imani's state of mind with new episodes dropping every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Every time I see the word Imani, that Legend of a Cowgirl song gets in my head because <laughs> it's by Imani Coppola. I'm going to bring it up every time. <laughs> And we are back for an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, arguably the woman king of Keep It. Wow. You're the man. <laughs> you're, the, you're the man queen of Keep It. <laughs> Gina Prince-Blythewood, your next, next assignment. <laughs> uh, we are excited to have a guest host with us this week. It is Sam Sanders. Fresh off of hosting NPR's It's Been a Minute, and now you have 12 podcasts. Listen, 12 podcasts. I got to put my <laughs> dogs through dog college, okay? It's not cheap. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here with you both. I'm excited about it. I, I know. I'm also just thinking about dogs with liberal arts degrees now. I think it sounds very <laughs> cute. There should right. be a whole like um, right. William Wegman type photo shoot thing with dogs getting degrees. Uh -huh. Well, you know. Uh -huh. Hooch famously did not have a degree. <laughs> you don't need one to be a police dog, apparently. That's right. Oh my! Oh my! Yeah. How many? Well, yeah, you turned right. down the full scholarship to Juilliard. That's right. You turned it down. Yeah. How many? All right. I have two people? jobs now. You have two. Yes. Okay. Vibe check, and mm -hmm. also you have a podcast at Vulture. As well. Called Into It. Yeah. So yeah. Into It is a show with Vulture and New York Magazine. It is a weekly digest of pop culture and a showcase of the best and brightest of Vulture. Uh, all kinds of stuff. 
deep dives into the culture, fun games, some celebrities, etc. And then my other show is just a gap fest with two good friends of mine, uh, poet Saeed Jones and producer and Tony winner Zach Stafford. We literally had an idea during the pandemic to like turn our group chat into a podcast and someone mm-hmm. bought it. So we get together and talk about stuff we want to talk about every Wednesday. So Wednesdays wanna, and Thursdays, you can find I just me. want to say, by the way, that most people, I feel like half the universe has the idea to turn their group chat into a podcast. And I need to discourage that right now. Uh, I don't want to see that or hear it, generally speaking. Sam Sanders, I'm going to allow it from you, and Saeed, who is a, uh, a Keep It veteran. Um, yes. but Zach is, too. Oh, that's right. Oh, of course, yeah. yes. Yeah. Right. yeah you're, Actually, we you invented are... your podcast. So <laughs> Thank, you. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Y'all's cut is in the mail. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> it's technically a spinoff. Actually, you know what? You are... You are the last of them to. You are the last of your co-hosts to be on this show, and yet we have been on your show before. I think we've been Y'all on. Like, Y'all came on my last like, show. I've been yeah. like two or three times before. Like, I feel like you might have been, and then I've been with y'all's colleagues over at Pod Save a few times, and I've hung with Mr. Lovett a few times. So I'm just happy that I finally made it here. The promise oh, land. I did, I did not know you were a. I did not know you were a liberal hack. It's good to know. Okay. <laughs> I am. I am. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, you know what's funny about a group chat as a um, podcast is that my favorite thing about a group text is that so you start with a group thread that's maybe like eight to ten people. They're either your close friends or your acquaintances, people that you hang out with socially, or a lot of group chats are formed from a vacation I yes. love those. I, because those you, are hard. You travel with people, and they are hard, but it's like, if they're your friends, then that's good. But like, if there's like a couple other random people in there, it's always funny thinking about like, the six of us keep talking after the vacation's over, and there's like two or three people on the thread who are like, I wish they would shut the fuck up. Well, and then there's always that like one inside joke from the vacation that was only funny on the vacation. Yet yes. that one person wants to keep bringing it up every like three days. And you're like, we've mm. moved on. We have moved on. <laughs> and also, uh, the, we still have a bond without that joke. You don't need to yeah. bring up the joke. <laughs> yeah. You know? But yeah. the flip side of that is that it is useful to still bully the friend who, you know, like booked a bad Airbnb. Well, that's true. That's true. I'm shouting out. I'm shouting out my friend, Chris Aragon, who will never live down the fact that he booked a horrible Airbnb for us in uh, Barcelona. How how horrible was it? No air conditioning. Yeah, no. Uh, and you can check and, for that. You can check for and that. The, the, the lie bedroom lies. What the what? what <laughs> that the sounds like an erotic was, thriller. Bedroom what, lies. <laughs> one of the beds was a cot in a bathroom. Oh my god! That's not legal. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. I don't know what they wow. could do in Barcelona. Okay. It's it's uh <laughs> it's a whole other world over there. I just uh, want to say that Sam is in a chic looking Airbnb. I'm in currently Antonio, yeah. Which uh, which calls to mind the question: Who is the definitive San Antonio celebrity? It's a gigantic city, and I can't think of anybody who's from there. Google so there's is Jared, telling me Jared, Jared Padalecki. Padalecki. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Who is that? Well, who is that? Can we not disrespect Supernatural on this thread? <laughs> It's on its 444th season <laughs> on the Reels channel. I'm going to tell you the biggest stars of San Antonio. So I went to college here. I went to the mm. University of the Incarnate Word. And Eva Longoria's <laughs> character's husband on Desperate Housewives is also an Incarnate Word alum. Mm, Carlos. 
Yes. Also, okay. Selena is not from San Antonio, but San Antonio claims Selena. Okay. Also, Selena had arguably heard of San Antonio. Yes. Megan Thee <laughs> Stallion was born in San Antonio. I didn't know but, that. But she reps Houston. But she reps Houston, yeah. You know. Also, so when I was a kid, the Spurs were like the best team in the NBA, and some of those players are still classic icons, like David Robinson, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, those dudes. We still rep them hard. Well, Eva Longoria's ex-husband. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 The yeah. Eva and Tony era was, that was quaint, you know? I loved it. was, it. listen, they were like the king and queen of San Antonio. You couldn't tell us nothing. We had our Jay-Z and Beyonce down here. <laughs> <laughs> and then they broke I, up. <laughs> I'm going to warn you that in the future, if you bring up Spurs, you better be talking about something that Reba is wearing. Okay, I don't want any of that on my podcast. <laughs> Listen, that's the <laughs> extent of my basketball knowledge. That is yeah, the extent okay. of Good. Nice save. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Lewis wants to talk about Shane for an hour. Okay, that's that's what we're going to get Alan into. Alan Ladd. Yes, Brandon DeWild, one of the great child actors. See, you've set me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. Anyway, I'm so excited to have you here this week, It's Sam. good to be here. I love uh, y'all's show. Y'all have been a companion to me for a long time, and there are many road trips where like, I can remember things y'all said at a certain point when I was like on the 10, driving home. Like, So this is nice for me. This is really good. Oh, how nice I appreciate you. Thank y'all. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild that we've been doing this for five years. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I want to ask you that, too. How long did you do NPR? I was at NPR, I would say in my exit interviews and press stuff that it was 12 years. It was actually 13 years. I just don't say 13 a lot. It's an unlucky number. But I went right to graduate school after undergrad and then right to NPR after that. So I started Mm -hmm. interning for the local station in Boston in 2009. And I was basically public radio ever since then. Okay. How long was it's been a minute? It's been a minute was I hosted almost five years. And before okay. that, I had hosted the NPR Politics podcast for about a year and a half. Jesus yeah, Christ, right? I, Lucille Ball, all these fucking syndicated know, series all over working. the place. She's Here, working. Your, your next one is Here's Sam Sanders. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. You know, we are, we approached five years in January, but this is just, this just um, going on like a Chuck Lorre show. Oh, this yeah. Is, no. I love this it. Is, <laughs> we have nothing better to do. Still getting Kimmy nominations for Alice and Janney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. We're going to get our show started. We are going to talk about um, some of the films that we've seen lately. What's exciting us? And we want to get Sam's thoughts on the culture at large. Uh, we're going to focus on The Woman King, which um, came out this weekend and uh, have a lot of thoughts. Um, Me too. Yeah, we're also going to talk about um, Nicki Minaj. Unfortunately, this is I like, tried to read up on that before we started today, and I was like, "There's too much to read up on." Y'all got to like fill me. There in. is far too much, and I feel like we've we've addressed it, and now it's it's time, it's time okay. to actually address her, the Barb's, and my my life as a Barb. Um, and although I don't want to get doxed. I don't want to get yeah. docs after this taping, sir. <laughs> Nicki Minaj's marriage to the internet, fraught. It's fraught. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and also, I have a solo interview, which is should be unbearably intimate for everybody at home, with the awesome Andrea Riseborough, uh, who I... Uh, 
came to know as Wallace Simpson in Madonna's W.E. all those years ago. But she is uh, a fabulous actress who's now in a new movie called To Leslie, which is an astounding performance. In the interview, I compare her to a few actresses that I never would have compared Andrea Riseborough to before. She's an utter chameleon. So psyched she's with us today. Is that a um, Judd Apatow um, biopic? To Leslie? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not like to Maude. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just to Leslie. Just to Leslie. Uh, all right. We have a lot more Keep It coming up. We will be right back. Hey guys, September 21st, that's today, is National Voter Registration Day. The first vote-by-mail ballots are hitting mailboxes, and the earliest in-person voting starts this week. If you don't know how you're voting, this is the week to get your shit together. Visit votesaveamerica.com slash everylastvote to make your plan to vote. Remind everyone you know to do the same, and donate to the Every Last Vote Fund to directly support the work of organizers and volunteers in key swing states that are actively working to battle disenfranchisement in communities of color. We keep saying this every week, but you know, the cinema is back. And this it really week it is. saw a glut of new releases. Um, and there's a bunch of things coming out soon, too, that I feel like um, we're either excited for or um, not excited for. Uh, so let's get into those. First, The Woman King, I think, is fantastic. Okay. Uh, I enjoyed it as a film as a cinematic experience. Did I love everything about it? No, but it felt like I was watching, it felt like it accomplished what um, producer Maria Bello uh, and screenwriter Maria Bello. What? In the randomizer of lady celebs who could have written this movie. So, co-star of duets, Maria Bello. Uh, <laughs> uh, walking around with her fedora on Prime Suspect, Maria yeah. Bello. <laughs> That's the same, yes. <laughs> um, she talked about wanting to create a Braveheart starring women. And you know what? I think this film is just about as good as Braveheart. Maybe better, because it doesn't have Mel Gibson in it. That's true. <laughs> I would have loved a Sophie Marceau cameo, but you know what? In in the in Dahomey, I don't feel like you know Sophie would be walking around, so I sort of understand. Um, uh, Sam, is it a like, place this? called Dahomey? Yes, oh, a real kingdom That's from funny. like the early um, 19th century. It's in um, modern-day Benin in Africa. Okay. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Gina Prince Blythewood is the director who did uh, Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights. Uh, and I have to say, like, you would not guess she directed those movies. This is an intense really? and serious epic uh, with Viola Davis giving her character has qualities that you've seen in Viola Davis before. Like there's the stalwart, the, you know, seemingly immovable, the uh, all powerful with, with, with like hard and tough wisdom behind the eyes, but it's also not like a Viola Davis I've seen before. How so? And that, I, I, I don't know, she's so she's so militaristic in a way that, I, I don't know, in a way I think Viola Davis characters are supposed to be like generally relatable to us, like our inner strength is her inner strength. And this is not that. She's like really? far advanced, I would say. And also what this movie to me is really about is the continuing rise of Lashana Lynch, who we loved yes. in the James Bond films, but are in, huh. in the last James Bond film in no time to die. Correct. And mm -hmm. she is, first of all, she gets 
a lot of opportunity in this movie, uh, in this movie uh, as somebody who's kind of training this young soldier girl to be uh, fierce, one, but two, so funny. The amount of like comic side eyes she gets to deal in and the amount of playful condescension she gets to do, stellar. I'm really looking forward to her and more stuff. Huh. Yeah. Lashana Lynch is sort of like fantastic for me in this film. And what's actually interesting about the film, Sam, is that um, it it's caused a bit of Twitter brouhaha at first. Wait, um, why? What does it? What does it? But the story is about um, two warring African nations. Um, and it addresses the fact that, you know, like African nations used to sell the captives of other nations to slavers, European yeah. slavers, you know, and it's um, it addresses a part of history that I feel like we don't really talk about. And the fact that, you know, like, obviously, you know, white people didn't just come to Africa and like scoop up everybody um, on their own. You know, it's there was a lot of sort of fraught history in this and the idea that, you know, like, yeah, if you are fighting people with, you know, muskets and guns and, you know, they have gold and they, you know, come in and they um, convince you that, you know, turning against one another is for your benefit. Um, it happens. That happens globally. That has happened everywhere. Yeah. You know? Did did people, were they mad that it was even in there at all? Or were they mad yes. because the way they did it wasn't historically accurate? Mad that it was in there at all. It was. They were mad before the movie even came out. I mean, the same way oh, that people on. were bad in Harriet, you know, with the idea that... Um, someone would um, turn in the slaves who were trying to escape who wow. was black. I mean, it's happened, okay? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen this movie yet. I've heard good things. I love that director. I think Beyond the Lights is pretty incredible. I think Love and Basketball is a It's classic. one of my favorite fucking movies, Beyond it's the Lights. So like, good. we don't talk about how good that movie is. And unfortunately, it, like, came out right before, like, the Nate Parker scandal happened, but uh, yeah, he yeah. is, he it's and great. Gugu are movie. so good in that film. Yeah. What I keep wondering in the launch of this movie, and the launch has gone well, I want to say it made some $19 million this first weekend mm -hmm. at the box office, really good for this time of year. I was worried about The Woman King because I'm like, oh, if you're just waiting for Black Panther, the sequel, do you want to watch this movie? But it seems like that didn't hurt them. They made some good money. Apparently, it was well-received at TIFF. Viola Davis doing Viola Davis. There's even already, I don't know, and check me on this, there's some Oscar buzz for her for this, maybe, possibly. I don't know what the I mean, people are like calling it year. a career best for Viola Davis. And it would be but nice everything she does is career best, right? That's, no, her, her job <laughs> is to deliver career best. That's what yeah. she is. But yeah. um, that said, I mean, of course, never counter out i think this is one of the most exciting best actress races in years because we have her we have uh, michelle yo who is still looming large in the conversation yes. we have Kate blanchett in the upcoming movie tar which i feel like is going to sincerely light me on fire like i'm going to walk out of the theater with embers <laughs> shooting off me. um <laughs> olivia coleman is back and as we know remember that one year she menaced uh glenn close and it worked out it was nasty but i respected it <laughs> did um, she do it two years in a row <laughs> She has three nominations already. Yeah. Oh, wow. So not it wasn't th it, it wasn't all um, one year up to the other. But yeah, Here, three nominations. Here's my question for you both. And here's what I keep waiting for Viola Davis to do. Mm -hmm. I want to see if she can do comedy. Is there mm -hmm. any comedy from her in this movie? Any yes, humor? I would say so. OK. Yes. Yeah. OK. In the same way that Lashana Lynch gets to be like so tough and wise that like dealing with other people is 
an eye roll to her. Yeah. Uh, Viola Davis gets some of that and really just the most withering looks. Actually, I would describe it as Maggie Smith comedy. What okay. Viola Davis okay. does yeah. in this I want movie. that. Well, I she's also funny just... in Suicide Squad, too. But okay. I would say she has not been afforded comedy in the way that she hasn't been afforded um, romantic comedy. I guess. And maybe that's what you're missing. Because I remember... I think so. There's always those... um, You know, she always is, like, giving a great speech somewhere. And she's always referring to the fact that people refer to her, you know, it's like, Black Meryl Streep, but I don't get these Black Meryl Streep roles. And when you think about Meryl at the height of her career, when she was doing, like, an Out of Africa, but then was also doing, you know, like, uh, A Death Becomes Her, but then also doing, like, a Heartburn. I'm like... I think heartburn is boring, but I would love to see a Viola, I would love to see a Viola Davis no. heartburn. What yes. I want to see is a Viola Davis black Mamma Mia, and the music is not ABBA. The music is who is a classic, a black classic music group. Frankie Beverly and Mays. <laughs> All the oh, hits. Please. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I want. I also got to say, when I think about Viola Davis in this movie, which I'm going to see before this week is done, I'm just glad to have her back in a movie. She had gotten into this, not rut. I'm sure it was very lucrative for her. Uh, she was on a really big, long speaking circuit, giving her little motivational speeches and sermons everywhere. I tried to watch the one she did with Oprah, where they just sat down and talked about mm-hmm. therapy speak for an hour. <laughs> she's good at that, but I'm like, I want to see you act. So I'm glad she's back on the screen acting. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I, the thing about Viola Davis is she always gives you the performance that you expect from her, but then her speaking thing is always in tandem. Like she brings the game that goes with yeah. it. I want to see the meeting that goes into Viola Davis campaigning because I've just never seen somebody on an award circuit who seems to have banked so much information. Like she'll like she'll always reference like I don't know, like like crazy things that you wouldn't know off the top of your head. And mm-hmm. it almost seems like she can predict questions and stuff. She's a she's a really smart campaigner and also mm-hmm. just I mean, rad person, obviously, additionally. Yeah. But it um, feels I'm like she's constantly that. preparing a sermon and they're good sermons. Yeah. Yes. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is a thing. One thing I also want to say about the film, too, is that, you know, she's sort of, um, you know, we got to the typical thing that happens when a black uh, big budget, you know, sort of mainstream film is coming out where people are like, you know, if you want to see more of these, you know, you need to like actually go and support it. Um, and, you know, we feel that as like black people, Sam, we feel that as like queer people, Lewis, you know, all three of us, too. But like. I like that this movie is actually good, too, because a lot of times people say, like, you got to bring your dollars to support black cinema. And then I'll go see the that's movie. And I'm like, it's bad. And then it's yes. bad. But also, <laughs> that's a lie. This is thankfully because, good. Like, yes. These studios have more money than they know what to do with. And they'll yeah, spend they a billion a dollars. They'll spend a billion dollars to reboot lord of the rings so they have Mm. the money and if they want to support it it doesn't matter what the last movie did or not because Mm. you know no one's saying if we don't support cha-cha real smooth we're not going to make another white boy indie comedy like they're not saying (laughs) that you know what i'm saying like this is this is what's wild to me like they can make whatever movie they want to i know Um, i actually wish it had a bigger budget to be honest i feel like my two knocks against it where i feel like they needed more sets uh, but also, you know, there were some COVID problems too. So like I could get it, but I just wanted, I wanted it to feel more expansive than just inside the palace. Um, I wanted it to yeah. feel as more epic as Braveheart. I also don't really like movies like that, but I did love this movie and enjoy watching it. So I'm like, maybe I just don't like movies like that about white men. Um, and two, 
Um, Maria Bello, story credit, and then I believe Dana Stevens right, uh, yes. is the uh, screenwriter who's done, um, you know, she did, uh, she created What About Brian? Uh, she wrote um, City of Angels, um, Life or something like it. Um, definitely had a white woman vibe to it a bit um, because it did not need. The woman um, came? The, yeah, it didn't need the mulatto love story that's in it. Um, not mulatto. <laughs> not mulatto. Truly, one of the plot points is there's a slaver who comes, yeah. um, and one of his friends comes along with him, and he's mixed because uh, his mother um, was sold from the Dahomey tribe and had always talked about that was the place where she was most free. So he visits so that he could see where his mother came from. And he plays into the story in a romantic way. And I was like, yeah, a white woman wrote this. Wow. Wait, can I just also, say not to be racist, <laughs> okay. but every time y'all say da homie, I want to respond, no, you da homie. <laughs> that's rude. I'm sorry. I think you can say that. I think okay. that's fair. Okay. And also, I think I am that. So yes. it would really be reassuring <laughs> to me. I just want to say, Tangent, you just brought up the movie City of Angels. What a crazy moment in time where at least everybody I knew saw that movie and everybody I knew owned the soundtrack for a couple well, this, reasons. Because the Goo Goo Dolls, right? Goo Goo Dolls were on it, Iris. And then also, we were desperately waiting for Alanis Morissette's second album and it wasn't coming out. So she put out the single Uninvited on there and it became that this song, huge sensation. Jane Jams. That song yeah. jams. Atlantis did that song. Yeah. Okay. Drama. I mean, Sarah McLaughlin's yes. yeah. Angel is in that film, too. Yes. I mean, right. also, I every. Mean, there's a yeah. U2. Yeah. There were two or three videos from that soundtrack that were on VH1 for like two years straight. You could not mm. not see Iris on VH1 every day. Oh yeah, no city. Yeah, I mean, VH1 basically changes name to the City of Angels Network. <laughs> yes, right. So that's also what I mean when you talk about like wanting Viola Davis in something comedic. Not even comedic. I want. She always. You has want to Black play, Mama so Mia? She, I'm yeah, telling you, well, you want Black well, Mama Mia. Has, she always has to play the hardened thing. I like Black Mama Mia, but like she always has to play sort of like something hardened, and I'm like, I miss like a. I miss like a city of angels, you know, and I don't think we really got a lot of like some of those or like films like that um, for some so many of our black female leads. And I feel like, you know, give them some well, give them some some tenderness, some Al Green. I also wonder, though, is it what she wants at this point in her career? She probably can tell folks what she wants to do and probably can get some folks to write her a project. But no, she does not want to do says, that. She always says in her sermons that she can't, though. I feel like at a certain point, that <laughs> is less true than you say. Mm-hmm. I just I, think so it, fulfilling. You know, like not to not to cast dispersion, but like if Viola Davis went to her team and said, "I need a rom com," they could get her a rom com at this point. Am I wrong mm-hmm. to think that? Yeah. Well, we also don't really make adult rom coms anymore. You know, I'm looking forward to the. The George Roberts Clooney, Julia Roberts. And, well, I've watched I mean, the trailer five times. It looks so tra- great. The trailer tells you everything, but I don't care. I saw the, there was a Vanity Fair interview that was going around with them, yeah. like a video one. And it's just like, remember chemistry? Uh, remember movie stars? Remember movie stars? Also, we used to have movie it, stars. I just want to say I cannot get over in general how, as a teenager, how wrong I was about Julia Roberts. I really, I, I took her for mm. granted, and I thought she would just always be in every movie forever, and I don't know, I, I guess I thought her appeal was bland. Excuse me. Julia Roberts no. is, first of all, hilarious. Yes. Second of all, 
obviously um, just an amazing presence, period. But watching this interview with George Clooney, you're just reminded like there's something sizzling about her and also a bit of a don't fuck with me vibe, too, which I Mm -hmm. love hanging under everything she says. Like, oh, I can be charming for now. Yeah. You know, it's like a little yeah. bit of a threat in there. I like it. Well, yeah. I feel like movie stars like her and like George Clooney and just like the big ones of yesteryear and a few from today, like Kiki Palmer, they have this quality where they know they're hot. They know they're cool. They know they're fun and they aren't afraid of it. They're not afraid of it. And that mm-hmm. confidence just pulls you in even more. And I feel like a lot of these new celebrities that come up on social or Instagram or TikTok, they're performing timidity. In a way yeah. that I find repulsive. And relatable. Be a star. Relatability. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Julia Roberts is not like you. She's cooler than you. She's hotter than you. But she's nice and you love it. Right? And I just, mm-hmm. I want more of that energy. Like, she's an alpha. Alpha movie stars. I love that. Well, so I feel like that's why I liked the Don't Worry Darling press store stuff with Florence Pugh. Because I felt like. <laughs> not to make she, it about Don't Worry Darling. Well, that's pivot. Felt, she that's felt pivot. like, she felt like a star. Yes. yes. You know? It yes. felt like we hadn't had a moment where it's like you had silly Hollywood gossip about a film and like an actor um, and a director like feuding with each other or like on, you know, on set drama. And it felt like everything about her arrival at Venice, like and everything swirling around it, it felt like a star again. You know, it wasn't yes. trying to be like, oh, I'm relatable. I want to do this. It was like, no, you were like, let her do yes. what she want to do. You know, she has it. I feel like Zendaya has it. Zendaya um, has it. T- Timothy Kiki Chalamet Palmer has, has it. it. Yes, quite. I think Definitely. Timothy Chalamet does have it. He might annoy you, but he annoys Timothy, me. But Timothy sorry, Chalamet what, has I, that, that's that, unacceptable. Like, annoying you can't be in a movie star stars. Quality. You can't I know. be in the movie stars you. and dislike Timothy Chalamet. You He's know what it is? In a way that no you know other male it is? actor is. It's because yeah. I saw those videos of him from high school when he would walk around rapping in high school. And I didn't oh, like that. Which I did forget about. Which I, did I didn't forget like about. that. Also, Why did I forget about it? Because my brain couldn't handle it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I expelled it. <laughs> I figured it out. The black Mamma Mia starring Viola Davis will have a soundtrack of only Stevie Wonder classics. It could be that or Earth, Wind, and Fire. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's like, that's, actually, that's Stevie Wonder it. might be better. Might be a bigger range there. And you get some ballads like you would with ABBA, too. You know, yeah. you can, like, yeah, you can turn it's... for once in my life into a big climactic. Oh, moment. yeah. Oh, yeah. If it's mm-hmm. Earth, Wind, and Fire, though, the movie is called like September. And it's about <sighs> a wedding that was on the 21st of September. And oh. this couple is divorced now. And they're remembering the 21st of September. And uh, you know what? It was probably also like a double wedding between two friends, two couples, yes. and none of them speak anymore. And now they are, for some reason, brought back together because their kids are getting married on the 21st of September. Can we write this? And where is this film set? Don't say Atlanta. Let's be more no, adventurous. No, not, <laughs> Let's not be more Atlanta. adventurous. Not Atlanta. Hmm. This, this is set like... Martha's um, Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Oh, cute. Yeah. But I think you want the foreign thing, too. You know, you want, like... Serpentine Fire. Mm-hmm. Where are we going to play that? You know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are we set this movie? Let's put it in. Let's Jamaica. make it. Let's circle back. This is a project. Oh. Jamaica, the Bahamas. Yeah. Yeah. This is Come a winning on. movie. Okay. 
Write this. Well, seems write this. Easy. Thank you. You know, um, before before we wrap this up, has anyone seen <laughs> literally any other movie that they've cared about oh, recently? Well, I want to say that um, coming out in a second is Bros, the Billy Eichner rom-com. It'll be in uh, theaters. Uh, mm-hmm. Luke McFarlane. Also, like tons of queer actors are in this. And I just want to say in the run-up to this movie coming out, and there's been a lot of fanfare about the fact that it's the first gay rom-com in a theater and stuff. I just feel like, and full disclosure, I wrote for Billy on the Street. Billy's a friend of ours. We see him all the time, whatever. I personally just want to say, I feel like not enough has been said about how original a voice Billy Eichner has been, just period. Um, Mm -hmm. He basically has invented an entire lane of comedy and like introduced it to people. And not only was it fucking hilarious, but he really used a bunch of qualities about being a gay guy I have not seen in a, a, a lot of other comedy period and that other that it's exposed to so many people and they love it for example the like f- finding the average pop culture opinion monotonous like mm-hmm. going up to somebody on the street and be like shut the fuck up you think that <laughs> like that's something resting in a lot of gay people's heads like I have to put up with your mediocrity even though i as a gay man have assigned myself to be a pop culture custodian and historian (laughs) and and somehow your opinion means more than mine because i'm some weirdo uh Mm. i just have appreciated his voice even before i uh worked for him uh the angst he brings the just the 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 volume of the comedy it's just like it was all completely new in so many different ways and i'm glad we're going to get to see that in bros which uh i'm excited uh, about it which I'm is so a hilarious film. So. so I'm going to see it because I'm going to be interviewing Guy Branham about it. Uh, he worked on it. Um, oh, and I keep love it him. legend. Yes. yes. And his last book, so good. Um, I'm just like, I'm excited to just see the movie. You know, there's there, there's so much chatter and dialogue around the conversations around the thing. It's time for the thing. And I can't wait yeah. to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this year has been a big year for um, conversations around movies again. You know, there was discourse bros, about discourse, discourse about discourses. Right. Yeah. yeah, the discord about bros versus Fire Island. And it was just so funny because it's like, obviously, like ha- so many people from Fire Island are in bros um, or like they're all friends with each other. And, you know, it's 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 that. And then, you know, there's discourse. I mean, this fucking movie Blonde comes out this weekend. And I'm like, I'm oh. already tired of hearing about oh, this. the Ana de Armas one. Yes. yes, I'm already tired. You know, of she about said it. that Marilyn Monroe haunted the set. I know, and I'm like, listen, <laughs> bitch. I like if if the, the ghost <laughs> is haunting you, if you are filming the movie where she died, and you are and you are getting haunted, get the fuck out, Molly. You I'm in danger, say, girl. Is that a good Molly? Thing? You in yeah. danger, girl. <laughs> that <laughs> is. That is literally like a house on haunted hill. Okay, like <laughs> it's like there's a horror movie about the making of blood where you're shooting a movie where Marilyn Monroe died, and she's like, I've had it with y'all. Can you believe we're only six or seven more movies away from understanding where Marilyn Monroe is coming from? Wow. <laughs> I love mythologizing okay, this basic problem she had. Anyway. <laughs> who you plays know who's next? You know who's who? next, though? Like, I cannot believe that we already have a new Elvis movie coming out. Oh, Wait, we do? Right. We oh, do? Yes. Priscilla movie? Sophia Coppola is making yeah. Priscilla, and I'm like... We are already getting to the point now. I'm like, is Elvis next or Priscilla yeah. or something like? Is Elvis the next much. celebrity that we're like? Here's a bunch Enough. of movies about him. Him and it should also, take it should take place entirely uh, behind the scenes on the movie The Naked Gun, like well after <laughs> Elvis is done. <laughs> uh, that and 
you know, speaking of like, that's another reason to take it back to the Woman King, where I liked hearing a new sort of like original story, original in the sense that um, we haven't seen this story so much before. We like it's new information to us. I'm like, there's the Ryan Murphy Jeffrey Dahmer thing coming out, and I'm like, right. aren't we tired of that huh. bitch? I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that. What I need is September, the Black Mamma Mia, starring Viola Davis. <laughs> Who's her love interest? To close the loop, who's her love interest? Mm. Mm. Well, who can sing? Yeah, is, is is Stokes Mitchell around? What's he up to? Mm. Yeah, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Um, Jamie Foxx can sing, but I don't oh, know. Oh, Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. Oh, that sounds Jamie like Fox. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jamie now, can Fox. Viola sing, though, is the question. Can Viola sing? Doesn't can matter. Meryl? Put her in the movie. <laughs> 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 I have to say, when I see Meryl Streep sing in a movie, I'm like, okay, fine. I mean, it's just okay. not the thing I need from her. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Ricky, yeah. Ricky and the Flash in the pan. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Gene Shallot jumped out. Wow. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Uh, be serious, Sam. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when we're back, my interview with the great Andrea Riseborough. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. 
In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and Black is the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Honestly, this person is so talented, I'm frightened by her, but she's been nothing but nice so far. So that's where I'm at with this interview. We are talking to a woman you've seen in Oblivion, Birdman, Bloodline, Nocturnal Animals, Battle of the Sexes, uh, W.E. she was astounding in. Anyway, she has a new movie, To Leslie, out October 7th. We are delighted to welcome to keep it the enchanting and frankly downright gifted Andrea Riseborough. Thanks for being here. God, that, that was absolutely lovely. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay now, whatever. No, right. no, no. I'm like, come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, this movie, the, the actors you remind me of in this movie, I would have never associated with you before. Like, I kept thinking of like Holly Hunter. I thought of Anne Heche. I thought of Melissa Leo. Is it a burden to be this versatile? Because, and I, I don't mean to say that just to flatter you, like, I almost, you have, you don't have a type. And so if I'm a casting director, I don't immediately think of you for these roles that you are extremely capable of playing because you are so across the board. It's, it's, it's strange. I mean, I've always thought it would be very boring just to spend my life sort of exploring my own facets. Yeah. Um, in my work. I mean, it's very interesting to do that outside of work, <laughs> but um, it's such a great gift when you are able to, you know, in, in a meaningful and changing way, step into a completely different walk of life. And it's such a rare oddity of a profession in that way that I always think, what a shame it would be not to make that journey. Um, and and believe me, sometimes I've tr I've, almost, I've tried in a sense in the sense that sometimes you do feel like playing close to yourself, and uh, not that that's comfortable. That's also uncomfortable for a myriad of different reasons. Partly because then you then you're very you feel very exposed and seen, or at least I do. But um, but the most um, rewarding valuable um, engagements that I've had in work have always been where I've made the decision to travel toward the character rather than pull the character kicking and screaming back toward me. And um, I think that'd be pretty boring anyway. I mean, I'm not like the, the, the most boring person in the world, but also how many times you want to explore, you know, I, I think we all get <laughs> a little bit sick of exploring you know, uh, uh, one actor with all of their glorious 
facets that they have over and over and over again in different scenarios rather than exploring different characters in different walks of life. Um, and I think if you have the ability to to be malleable, you know, to, if, if things like uh, uh, physical, the change of your physical rhythm and accents are available to you, then it's it's really fascinating because in a way it's almost like learning to speak a new language you start to think in a in a in a think and feel in a different way when you approach life from someone else's perspective well i'm happy to hear that because again your performance i can't relate it to anything else you've done and so my question is in order to get into this character who is a woman who at one point won the lottery but has squandered those winnings and is now in dire straits with with her family with life is it terrible alcoholic. What has prepared you for this role? And how long did it take you to quote unquote, get into character? I think I think for every role, uh, possibly that you play your whole your life prepares you for it in a sense, you know, because there's nothing that prepares you better for tackling somebody else's life than having experiences in your own. But um, there were lots of things that um, I think firstly, what what drew me to the piece was the fact that Michael, who I'd worked with on Bloodline, he was actually our showrunner on, on Bloodline. That's where we started our relationship. We've had quite a long um, working relationship now, and it's been so wonderful to work with Michael. Um, he was the keeper of all knowledge on Bloodline. In a sense, it was almost like he, because, you know, as you know, in the US, a showrunner is very much a director, almost like at the helm of the theater production or whatever, you know, he's really, uh, the only person who compasses every moving part of this very vast story that you're trying to um, catalog in a series. So um, he and I became um, close um, in terms of wanting to do something again. He then brought this project to me and Ryan, our writer, our screenwriter, who's a very brilliant screenwriter, um, finally wanted to tell the story of his own mother and perhaps wanted to give her, I think he's not said this to me, but I feel like perhaps he gave her the ending that she wasn't able to have in life um, through cinema, you know. Sadly, she passed away uh, not very long ago. Um, and because the story was so personal and written by somebody in our industry, who was both in our industry already as a an established, hugely competent writer, but was telling his own story, um, it felt special and personal, and um, Leslie felt like, a, uh, you know, I had access to Leslie through those that outlived her. So I was able to talk to our writer about the vivacity um, of her and, you know, the, the abandon with which she approached life. Um, and the, the character in so many ways felt so familiar to me. I'm from Newcastle in the mm -hmm. northeast of England. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's very, it's it's quite a cold place in terms of temperature, but it's a warm place in people's hearts. And um, there's a sort of reckless abandon, you know, that comes along with um, enjoying life there. There's, it's, 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 a, it's a sort of party city, and that's the... the Although, in a sense, I couldn't have stayed there personally, and it, that was less my interest. Uh, Leslie holds that in in so many 
ways. She holds, um, she's such a, she's such an extraordinarily fun person to be around. Um, and, but can also decimate really everybody in her path. Um, so she's a, you simultaneously want to, to take care of her and to distance, distance yourself from her. And she feels that, she feels that, you know, she innately feels that rejection because she's very intuitive. Really, she only operates intuitively. Um, she's a very intuitive uh, character. I mean, going back to Vivian Lee and Gone with the Wind, there seems to be a trend of English women really understanding Southern characters, Southern U.S. characters. And I was wondering if you had any insight into why historically, you know, you people are so good at this. It's a really, really unique and fascinating question. Perhaps it's colonialism, the class system, um, I mean, if you think about somebody like, you, you mentioned Gone with the Wind, so so that puts us in the realm of Scarlet O'Hara, that's somebody in the upper echelons of, of Southern society. It's very, very different to, to this character, Leslie, who very much feels or is on the, because of her inability to function in the world, um, she's very much on the, on the, um, the rubbish heap really, in a sense. She's, she, she has so far to look upward. Um, and I think perhaps because of the very, structured and restraining class system that still bubbles up now and then in the UK. The, the, the similarity between a, you know, a working class underdog, perhaps in the north of England or the south, wherever, and um, and and this and the south of and the south and the south of America, like this character is not from the south. But even watching uh, Kate Winslet and Mayor of Easttown, I, a part of me thought, and yet you're perfect for this role, even though I've not seen you do something like this, and you're certainly not from Pennsylvania. You know, I was try, I, I, the math of it still astounds me. And Kate would, I, I mean, in my opinion, <laughs> Kate would be really perfect in anything she chose to turn her hand to, and that's because she has an an innate capacity to embrace a world in which she's hugely interested, you know, or, or to, to enter into a narrative or a story that's, that compels her. Um, and, or I'm actually just about, Kate and I are about to do, not the film that I'm shooting at the minute, but the, but the film after that and the project after that, we're about to do two projects back to back together. So it's funny you should mention it. But um, I've really always admired that in Kate, that she, that she really makes that journey with every tool that she has toward the character, should she choose to, to play it. So we're making a film. Um, really, my, my heart's in film and theatre, you know, still. I'm not, I struggle a lot with anything episodic 
which was why it was such a lovely thing after Bloodline to make to Leslie with Michael um, and to get the to have the freedom and the breadth that cinema affords you in terms of developing a character and staying with them for a substantial period of time, you know, rather than the main concern being plot or a, a, a plethora of other things. But uh, know that I'm making a film with uh, Kate. It's called Lee, and it's based on uh, the life of Lee Miller. And in the film, I play Audrey Withers, who is the editor of Vogue in the Second World War, uh, during the Second World War in London. She was actually editor of Vogue for 20 years, but she, but she, throughout the Second World War, was the editor of Vogue. She was uniquely not particularly interested in fashion. She's quite an interesting character. Um, she almost reminds me a little bit of Margaret Rutherford or something. She's, she's a really oh. unique character, but Kate and I are about to do that. And so Audrey was really the, one of the champions of Lee Miller, she was one of the people who enabled us to get a press pass through the American Corps rather than the English press corps because you weren't, as a woman, allowed to take photos at the time. Um, you know, it's it's one of the reasons that Lee Miller had took some of the first pictures inside of Dachau and the camps, you know, when they found out the horror that had been committed. For people who don't know, Margaret Rutherford is who played Miss Marple in the uh, Agatha Christie Mysteries of Yore. She's an Oscar winner, too. But that's a name that I feel like uh, still has a lot of uh, prominence in Britain. Do you have favorite old actors, uh, old British actors that you like watching again and again? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I have favorite, uh, you know, favorite mature actors, <laughs> shall we say, from all over the world, you know, really from all over the world, from... Uh, you know, Croatia, the Middle East. Oh, oh, I mean, there are so many fantastic actors. I think the, the the really unusual thing about um, actors is they retain this childlike quality because there's such a... And you probably identify with this in a sense because I imagine a writer or a journalist has this, this, sen this um, sense of freedom or lack of stability being freelance. You know, I think if anyone's been freelance, they kind of understand what this means. But ret they retain a childlike quality even into their into their eighties and nineties when they're still working toward the end of their career because they they're still excited and seeking the next venture. And that's such a it's it's actually something that takes a lot of humility to to know that you've you know you work with actors at the RSC who've who've been in Hamlet nine times, you know. And they're now 80-something, and, you know, they're in Hamlet again, and <laughs> and quite quite jovially, jovially you know, quite, quite happily embracing the experience. Um, and, and that takes a lot of humility to, to have that huge amount of experience, but to, um, but to come every day to it afresh. So it sounds like you remain a, a movie stalwart as a fan, too. Like, you prefer the film experience to watching a TV experience. I find it difficult to enjoy what they now call episodic content, <laughs> um, which all sounds very soulless. I, yes, I find it very difficult. Uh, that said, I've just produced uh, something with Fremantle, which I hope in its nature, in its unusual nature and in, it, and in its... Um, because it because it's being directed by some very brilliant 
auteur filmmakers, I hope will, I, I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I'm trying as a producer and an actor uh, and a writer to find my way through this episodic shift that we're having from cinema to episodic work. And um, I think there's a there's vast potential. I'm not sure anybody is quite touching it. You know, I think uh, what the things that Kate is doing are doing um, are really wonderful. It, t- it takes a lot of it takes somebody very very strong at the helm to uh, when you do something episodic to push a character through that vast expanse of eight six to eight episodes or 20 episodes in some cases which is just mind-boggling but actually speaking to uh older actors and one who's not with us anymore but somebody like peter folk who had Mm. an incredible film career that people don't seem to really i mean cinephiles those of us who love cassavetes of course understand Mm -hmm. see the entirety of his career but People like Peter Falk, who who ended up on television with the most incredible guest stars known to man on Columbo. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I mean that's something to respect. It's not. Uh, it's something to. Um, you know, it's 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 something to admire because it it, it requires a both that wisdom and that. Um, eagerness to be curious about your job still um it's interesting you bring up cassavetes because i feel like that name must loom large in the minds of serious actors because it feels to me like when jenna rollins came around there was just a seismic turn like there's the potential for what you could do on screen totally changed is that somebody whose work you've seen a lot of i think there were many shifts like that in cinema of course, I'm a huge fan of Gina Rollins. I don't think there are very, you know, there are very few performers who occupy the, the sort of space that she does in terms of respect and um, how commanding she was as a, as a screen presence. Um, but I also think there have been so many shifts Back to Vivian Lee, a pointed shift is with Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando. That's a very clear shift of one style of acting and another meeting in Glorious Union and what was a very successful piece of cinema um, uh, in a streetcar named Desire. Obviously, I'll say. I mean, I, I, yeah, I know that you know what I'm talking about. Yes. But, uh, that you know, that's one of many, many shifts, and I think there are many actors like that, uh, and there are many actors who. It may not be perhaps recorded, but they have also put pennies in the coffer that development of naturalism on screen. And naturalism is, 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 ex- is extraordinary and fantastic and so much, so, so much more of a reflection of real life, I think, you know, than um, the cinema language that we've come to expect um, or feel comfortable around. Um, but also, I also love doing things that are, you know, that are completely surreal. I just made a film called Please Baby Please with a with a brilliant writer-director called Amanda Kramer. And 
it's it's lyrical you know it could have almost been written pentameter it's not but it's 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 lyrical it's it's camp it's it's uh it's wild it's genderless it's a really interesting lgbtq plus type west side story without the songs um so it's also really exciting to do work like that I would almost expect you to do surreal stuff more often because I, I would just expect you to be bored with like literal uh, drama, just so capable of it that you would have to go into the world of the unnatural, unreal. You know, I think uh, probably I think it depends on the actor, but if you if you if you spend your time mentally in somewhere in a state that's quite surreal, then kind of doesn't matter what gets put in front of you or how conventional it is that'll just that's just gonna pop out you know that's a psychological insight i'm thrilled to have wow (laughs) what what's going on in your head that the surreal sort of just speaks to you no idea (laughs) (laughs) i read a lot i mean i don't know (laughs) i don't know i'm a huge music fan um uh yes i you know but my psychology is deeply boring. I <laughs> let's not go into that. But Les Leslie's um, is complicated, complicated, and 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 so painful for those around her who love her. Uh, this movie is great. Your performance is staggering. I, I, I'm thrilled to see another great performance added to your stack. I loved you in Death of Stalin. And by no. the way, you were f- simply fabulous as Wallace Simpson. I hope people talk to you about that performance still. Oh, thank you. Actually, that was something that um, da- I, David or Russell, who I've just made a film with, we had the premiere last night. That's something that he particularly liked. I think that's what um, but one of the things earlier on that I did that he particularly liked, I think that's probably why I was able to work with him eventually. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here and uh, go see to Leslie, everybody. It's a wonderful film. Oh, thank you so much for your insightful questions. That was lovely. And to Leslie is in theaters October 7th. We've all got old stuff that we should toss, but an old 401k, make sure it keeps working for you. A Fidelity Rollover IRA has no account fees or minimums to open. An easy-to-follow rollover process makes it simple to get started in under 15 minutes. Plus, you'll have access to a rollover specialist. Whether you've switched jobs or are just organizing your finances, learn more at fidelity.com rollover. Consider all your options and the applicable fees and features of each before moving your retirement assets. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. 
Nicki Minaj is back in the news, and this time it's her fans who are making waves as they harass and threaten one of Nicki's critics, journalist Kimberly Foster. There's a lot of other things going on, too. Um, Nicki's also suing a woman, um, a blogger who called her a cokehead. But Nicki said, I've never, ever done coke. And I was like, never, ever? Never, ever? Your whole life, Nicki? I don't, mm. Statistically, Suspect. it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, Thank right. you. Yeah. Um, the funny thing about the blogger who called her a cokehead um, is that the blogger first said, um, and, and by the way, the blogger's name is Nosy Ho. Spelled H E A U X. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, she's, she, you already know that she gets into people's business, you know? Right. Uh, mm -hmm. She's a nosy hoe. Uh, and she's probably going to talk about your nose where people do coke, you know? Um, <laughs> so, many like so many layers yeah. here. Uh, but she, when she first was saying it, she was like, allegedly, Nikki. Does cocaine? She's a coat head, and then she's like, "I'm not even gonna say allegedly." She does it. I was like, "Well, sis, come on." <laughs> Did Star Jones? She teach wanted you the lawsuit. She Did wanted Star the Jones lawsuit. On the View teach you nothing. Did Wendy Williams teach Listen, you nothing? You gotta keep saying allegedly. What you say? I say I don't mean allegedly. You you deserve the lawsuit. I say allegedly when I'm talking to my dog. I say allegedly to everybody. <laughs> allegedly everything. Cover your ass. What's weird to me, though, is apparently Nikki sued this woman for only $75,000. That's all? What? Well, is that even a lawsuit? That's like game show winnings. I remember blogging. <laughs> I remember blogging. And $75,000 was a lot of money at the time. You know? I'm just saying that's like that's like the level that Judge Judy handles. It's just not that significant. Th that's like I know that's but that's like three times as much as I used to make at BuzzFeed. Right. <laughs> oh wow, oh. they were paying you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were paying you in coupons. You, what they, was going they, on they, there? They paid me in Shakita bananas. Okay. Uh -oh. uh, <laughs> speaking speaking of a legend, by the way, though, I want to point out that <laughs> someone called me out on Instagram for last week's episode, saying, "Ira, I love how you referred to Anne Boleyn's alleged scandals." <laughs> yeah, we don't want her after us. <laughs> If Anna the Thousand Days has taught me anything, you don't want her on your trail. Um, the allegedly thing is interesting. At Kimmel routinely, Don Trump Jr. comes up, and you, you want to say the same thing about him. Then you realize, oh, no, it's different than making a joke in another way. Like, using that those kinds of words, like, cokehead, like, mm. is treacherous. Yeah. I found it really interesting when I did try to read up on this, and it's so many layers to it. The lawyers' comments and filings are just as aggressive and petty and antagonistic as, like, the barbs on Twitter. Her lawyer's crazy, too. Like, the lawyer is, like, picking a fight in these legal documents. I don't understand what's gotten over her and her team. She's just mad at the world. And I'm like, Nikki, why are you mad? Queen Radio is pay paying you a lot of money. You got a ton of hits. I'm sure you're still rich. What's up? Like, why, Queen, what's going is on? Is Queen Radio paying her a lot of money? Because Azalea Banks has famously said podcasts are the brokest form of media. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get why she's so angry. I, don't I really either. don't get and it. And I think this goes to, so the original thing is, um, Kimberly Foster is being um, is suing um, Barb's 
for doxing her. Uh, she, you know, tweeted um, a defense of Lil' Kim's influence on Nikki, and then she also tweeted, Nikki is so clearly a horrible person. Negativity sticks to her like glue. I don't know if we've ever seen this before. Um, and... You know, I say this as a person who has been a huge Nicki Minaj fan, you know. Um, I've had to fall off in recent years just because, like, the internet presence is so toxic. And it's not just her. It's truly the fan base. And it's they. It's a feeding of one another. And I don't think I've seen this before either. Well, what I haven't seen is how she kind of feeds it. She'll mm-hmm. like some of these really mean trolls tweets when they're going after folks that she hates. And then she'll she kind of subtly tell them. She follows them and then she'll subtly tell them, all right, go ahead, go off, go get them. Like mm-hmm. she kind of like calls the dogs in. Um, it's very dangerous, you know, to see Kimberly Foster share some of those screen grabs of the messages she was getting folks were saying i don't care if you live in a secure department we're gonna come find you and like kill you literally Mm -hmm. they were saying this all because she said once i don't like nikki i i don't understand it i don't get it and like behind all of this there's also the whole thing that like apparently nikki is an anti-vaxxer on top of all this mess it's crazy Oh, yes. Well, she does have some strange theories about that regarding friends of friends of friends or whatever that was that, by the way, I feel like went by the wayside in a way that I did not expect. I thought we would still be making jokes about that like years and years. I'm still making jokes about that. (laughs) Okay, good. Thank you for keeping it up. Um, No, but something that's interesting to me is I get fed up when people say things like, oh, this person has so much money or they're so successful. Why are they even spending time on Twitter? It's like, well, you want to know what people are up to. Like, you're still a sociable human being. Like, I, I feel like you can't blame people for wanting to be involved in a conversation that said Nicki Minaj in particular I just feel like life would be better if the internet never happened to her every story she's never done one rad thing on the internet yeah well and it's like once you reach a certain level of fame you're really not supposed to tweet like that's kind of the secret rule you're that big now don't tweet Beyonce ain't tweeting. Taylor Swift ain't tweeting. And the fact that, like, Nicki Minaj isn't just on Twitter every day, but also has Queen Radio where she just pops off about whatever for hours a day, that is a recipe for disaster for someone as famous as she is. When you're that big, speak less, not more. Yeah, and it's the also the following of the fans, too, because, you know, it's like, you have to feed into the like always saying something positive about her because um, she's following you. You know she could be monitoring mm. what you're saying, and it's. I just don't understand the impetus. And then it's not just barbs too. From a lot of stands, like the impetus to, you're attacking someone in the name of this person. There's just a lot of cruelty and nastiness that comes with a lot of internet fandoms at this point, and it's. It's troubling because it's you know the stuff that was written to Kimberly is vile and scary but also like you're pick and journalists shouldn't have to go through this shit you know like we're joking too about like being docs or whatever by even just discussing this uh especially knowing this gonna end up on the keep of snapchat Um, (laughs) right and people will be looking but you know it's also like you should have to be like i'm afraid of big docs you shouldn't have to say i'm not scared of these people because you like you shouldn't have to worry about being killed by doing your job and reporting on a pop star you know it's yes it's it's, it's truly yes. ridiculous but also not just the scariness on the kimberly part i'm like are none of these people who are online tweeting about people afraid that like 
one time in Nikki's name, you're going to say something about somebody and try and pull up and do something to them. And like, and then they might get killed or someone might go. go after them. I'm like, cause at a certain yeah. point, you're not going to keep talking about me on the internet. Exactly. crazy. You could be found yeah. too. Yeah. What I don't like in general with just like this very performative type of toxic fandom and standum that has been ascendant the last several years is that like it convinces people to care the most about the people who need the least care. Right. The people that yeah. you're toxic standing, they're so rich and powerful and wealthy. They're set for life. They don't need you to defend them. Nicki Minaj needs no one to defend her, right? And yet mm. you convince yourself that if you're not out there tweeting on her behalf, she suffers. It's so wild to me. Like put that energy towards anything else. Whoever you're toxic fanning and standing, they actually don't need it. They're fine. Well, also yeah. just the primary problem with Twitter in general is I, I, we have accidentally gotten a lot of information from there like that we use in our daily lives. And sometimes it's from, you know, verified news sources. But in general, I think people just forget to ask, who am I actually listening to right now? Mm -hmm. Who is this person? Where, where, are they, where are they coming from? Where is their information from? And I feel like stands are like the heart of the worst of the matter. Um, yeah. It, you know, it's, do we like the new song? Because I secretly I mean, like not the really. new song. Oh, I, I, Super I, Freaky Girl. I it's grown on it. me a little bit. It's grown it's, on me a little bit. It I works. hated it until I heard it in the club, and now I like See, it. And now I can't stop thing. playing it. So it is. Yeah. It's good. Uh, it did its job. You know? Is, it did. Is it, and I'm not going to say it's classic? bad because I don't want the fans after me. Listen, is it don't. a classic? Are children no. going to be singing this song at no. graduations, weddings, <laughs> at funerals? Probably not. <laughs> that fucking meme imagine singing at a graduation it's so funny <laughs> we used to we used to do that though oh yeah i did we not would pick our well, senior okay. year song we well, picked listen. our song senior year of high school and it was boys to men end of the road and i was like it's 2002 mm. why are we doing this middle wow. school middle school we yeah. sang i believe i can fly that didn't well. age well <laughs> <laughs> no, my middle school graduation song was, of course, that vitamin C song. It wasn't yours, Ira. Oh. Yeah, no, but like the, the like the actually singing. Well, probably oh, not I middle see. school. I think grade school actually. I'm like de-aging myself or something. It's like fourth <laughs> or fifth grade, but we definitely yeah. were singing. Schools children were singing. I believe I can fly at graduations, <laughs> no, right. weddings, and picture. funerals. Okay, um, that is the mark of a good song. That's true. Not of a good human, before, though. <laughs> um, the horrible standing on, on Twitter, it is always, I don't want to say funny because that gives these people a power that they don't deserve. But like when someone is violently mean on behalf of Lady Gaga, the person who innovated the term kindness punk, like what planet are you on? <laughs> like even with Nicki Minaj, at least a part of her style is to be is cutting in lyrics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I can intuitively connect the two a little bit. Not with anybody else. Yeah. Also, go outside. I can oh, get yeah, some no, of this right. energy during lockdown and pandemic. We're approaching full free now. Go touch grass. Go yeah. walk a dog. Go yes. do something. Take the shackles off your feet and dance, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know an old, an old phrase that should be brought back? Go fly a kite. Love there you that. go. Yes. yes. Picture Come bringing on. a kite outside. Come uh -huh. on, Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Charlie <laughs> Brown, etc. Yeah. Um, I also, this is a brief aside, and this isn't, this isn't to say that this is toxic culture, 
But right. I want to talk about cele- the celebrities and people tweeting in general. And we brought up like um, Rina Sawayama's album before um, before it was coming out. And now it is officially out. And I don't love it. Um, it's It's not hitting like the first album hit. But her Twitter presence lately has been... What is she troubling. doing? What's she doing? Um, I'm going to read um, how she, like, tweets now. Uh, and it's feeding into, like, the way Stan's tweet. Um, and I just feel like it just makes me feel great about the music. Yeah. Uh, but oh, I want to yeah. get your thoughts. Okay. Hold, hold the girl, track eight, Imagining. Are you gay satisfied yet? I don't know what genre this is, in parentheses, mother music. We have already choreographed this, and it goes off live, but wow, I'm not quite fit enough yet, and so might need a puff of mother mist. What is that? There's a certain point where stands are, like, doing these insane, jokey tweets, like, everything is slay, and everything is, like, mother, this and that. And now... To see, like, an actual, like, pop star who was so innovative and original and fresh and, like, sounded so smart on this show, too, talking about her music and art, tweeting, um, like, a gay with um, 23K followers on Twitter is (laughs) troubling. Here's the thing. Don't, Don't talk like that unless you can duck walk. Unless you can really serve. If you can't back it up, no. I just feel like... Yeah, that's it. Feels like everything is slay now, and it everything is slay, and it's 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 funny because this goes into the conversation of like, are we okay with our pop stars being corny? Because people used to accuse Lizzo of this, and I think people just thought Lizzo was corny because she was a. That's just actually how she is. She she just as she is, but she was also just a fat black woman who was like, you know, talking about self love and loving herself, and I felt like a lot of white people picked up that positivity and made it corny themselves. Like, you know, white people singing good as hell is corny, but the act of Lizzo doing it isn't corny. What was actually (laughs) corny was being at Coachella and with, like, Don't Say Gay was happening, having Rena have the audience chant with her, when I say say, you say gay. I'm like, no. We're not Mm -hmm. doing that. Christina Aguilera did that at Pride, too. Yeah, Yeah, Christina Uh Aguilera did that, too, and it's like... Wow. Also, just, 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 just like leave us wanting more. Some of these girlies, it's just like leave me wanting more. Don't leave me wanting less of you. I don't know. I just feel like with Nikki, with Rena, like you're talking about now, like a lot of this would be helped if they just like put the phone down and to stop talking for a bit and let the work do the work. I don't know. Call me crazy. Well- well, I think part of the problem is you're right. Like, Ira, what she's doing is internalizing vernacular that's being thrown at her on Twitter all the time and speaking mm-hmm. in that, and which just feels contrived. It just feels like they've you're molding the conversation to a select group of people as opposed to just talking the way you would normally talk. That's how but I also, thought with yeah. Carly Rae Jepsen, not in her language, but she was long a person who was championed by gay fans as being, you know, like sort of like she felt like. R's an undergrad, and we we're like, why don't straight people know her beyond Call Me Maybe, you know? And then mm-hmm. she had that awful song, Beach House, come out, and the video was like gay TikTokers doing dances oh, on the beach with her. Not. And I'm like, where did you even get this? 
You know, no, stay Canadian just, it, and pure, please. <laughs> yes. Stay. Thankfully, the new song is very good. It's, I think that's. A I one-off. love the new song. Talking to yourself, great yes. song. Yes. That's her. It felt like a that felt like a one off though. Like a, this is what the gays are doing. This is where the culture is. Like and when you're trying to chase the culture, it always seems a bit. You're not innovative anymore. Well, you know, but and sorry. the music feels ephemeral because I feel like with Lizzo's latest album, she's trying to be with every song viral on TikTok, viral here. She wants to be like, this This is a song for the bachelorette party. This is a song for the girl's birthday night. This is a song for TikTok and Twitter. And it's like, it's not going to last because it feels so ephemeral. I like the album, but it does make me want to, you know, hit a soul cycle class. <laughs> yeah, Which I, was, I actually very, still do it like about damn time. I do. I think I yeah. like the Nile Rodgers. That one's catchy. That one grew me. But I think in general, her vibe right now is very girl boss kids bop. Mm-hmm. And some of it works for me, but some of it is just like I don't think it's one of the best the songs on her album. Is naked is like a sexy song about. Uh, I want more of that. Uh, yeah, that that sexy song. It feels Janelle Monae. It feels you know sort of autobiographical too. You know, it's about her body, like. I want music like that from her. I thought that was sexy. I thought it was smart. I thought it was brilliant. I think it's the best song she's ever written. Um, yes. So you were saying something, Lewis? Anyway, yeah. oh. to- no, I, I, just in general, though, it does feel to me like meme world and, you know, what, what you were talking about, like words that pick up like on gay Twitter, for example, and how we like exchange them 100,000 times has really given people permission to be cliche in a way that I think was not in vogue even like 10 years ago and stuff and it's like guys you have to understand being cliche is boring like truly no one wants to hear it even though it feels correct coming out of your mouth because other people are using the same words like just be honest like be actually articulate who you are yes right i'm like that is what i want to hear that's what people want to hear so be yourselves (laughs) that's the message to keep it as you know and, and go fly a kite Go, be yourself go and stop tweeting. Yes. Uh, the cliche right. that fits the mold. Yes. All right. Well, we're back. Our favorite segment of the episode, as usual, it's Keep It. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. Sam, you've listened to us for years. Like, what's What's been boiling in your soul? Like, what, what's your Keep It? Yeah, I feel bad because like my keep it this week is not a fiery one. It's more of a question than an exclamation point. And the question is, Mark Wahlberg, what are you doing? Mm. Um, Mm. This week, it felt like that man put out a, a new Netflix movie every day. Like there's a lot of Netflix movies from him. I also keep getting ads on Twitter for his Catholic prayer app where you can like pray with Mark Wahlberg. Y'all seen this? Mm, I have seen that. Um, More like pray you can get away from Mark Wahlberg. Thank you. But then here's what's crazy. After that, I was like, what's up with this dude? Why is he working so hard? Does he owe somebody money? I was like, what is his career like right now? He also owns a series of car dealerships, uh, a big used Chevy car dealership in Columbus, Ohio. That's on top of having the Wahlberger burger chain. My keep it is mark Wahlberg's career why are you doing all of these things it's weird i don't like it something's off do you have gambling debt what is it keep Mm. it stop with the movies stop with the restaurants stop with the business ventures i will not pray with you like 
I'm, I've had enough of this man, even though I don't even watch what he does anymore. What is it about him? He's every, what is it? Well, he's for, he's white and for Boston. I feel like they have a hustle mentality. <laughs> when they're not hate criming people of color. <laughs> Oops, you you will not you will stay on his neck about that. <laughs> I mean, it happened. Did you it happen? It a, did. You can't just do a little hate crime in your youth. <laughs> no, I, not really. Not as a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, you do just have like dark suspicions about like a celebrity's career. Again, uh, I think I brought this up sometime last year, but for a little while. John Malkovich was taking like the eighth lead in movies that were not mm. worth his time. You know, John Malkovich, like, one of those sort of definitive theater yeah. actors of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you in Bird Box? Why are you in this movie Ava with Jessica Chastain? And it makes me think something is not right or there's blackmail involved. Yes. Well, well, I've heard that Nicolas Cage well, well, actually, for a while when he was on all those movies, he was actually just in debt. Mm, well, the Malkovich one I know, Lewis. Well, he was Malkovich in debt. He lost all Ma- his money. No. From Madoff. How did he lose his money? John Malkovich, he's a Madoff person, right? Yeah, John, oh. Malko- John Malkovich was a John Malkovich was a Madoff person, and so that's why Poor he guy. was working so much. Yeah, okay. Wait, but was I just Robert- want to say, like, you would think he would have worked more at the time when he lost all that money, and not you know ten years after. Yeah, well, some of those yeah. movies that he did, you know, were probably filmed ten years prior. And that's then finally right. got released. <laughs> that's um, right. Yeah. I used to do that for a while, though, like Google a celebrity's name and Bernie Madoff to find out, is this why they're making the choices <laughs> they're making? Right. And sometimes it works out. Then you get Kira Sedgwick in The Closer, you know? Yeah. yeah. Have y'all watched these movies that Mark Wahlberg is in on Netflix? In one of them, Absolutely he not. plays Kevin Hart's <laughs> best friend, and they have a birthday party together. And in the other one, he's, a, he's like a Catholic priest. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't understand. Kevin, a Kevin Hart Mark Warburg movie, as much as that sounds like a great double feature, um, <laughs> probably not. And you know the the only the only um, actors I want to see pretending to be priests in a comedy are um, Ed Norton and Ben Stiller. Okay, mm, I like that. I love that. Keep it up, the faith. Great movie. Uh, <laughs> Lewis, what's your keep it? Okay, well, I'm doing something very controversial. I'm innovating something. I know Ira and I, we used to have a segment called Keep It Up, where we would encourage someone to keep doing something, but Keep It Up felt a little cheesy. So I am now innovating something else. Uh, inspired by the song That's What Friends Are For by, <laughs> Gla- by Gladys and Friends, I'm calling this segment Keep Shining. And oh, my like Keep Shining goes to Cardi B who <laughs> talk about somebody who's done Twitter well over the years. Somebody, I, I'm not even going to say the person's name because I don't know who this is. It's just a, a person tweeted four pictures and said, celebrities that came out as bisexual but never dated someone of the same gender. Well, Cardi saw that. And she responded, I ate bitches out before you was born. Sorry, I don't have razor phone pics to prove it to you. <laughs> a queen. A queen. <laughs> Clear. Queen. <laughs> also, I Keep live shining. For, yes, I live for any and all razor phone references because the kids don't know. The kids no. don't know what that era felt like. So the razor flip was like I. You the used sound to feel bad of the close of the one. phone. Oh, so satisfying. You're, yeah, you yes. would have a phone and it was like a Chinese finger trap. It would be like flip, flip, flip. Yeah, you know. Also, no. shout out to her um, delivering this week. Also, some very good looking uh, courtroom photos. Uh, yes. It's been a while since like Naomi Campbell or something where you've had like a celebrity like walking into court with give, giving a fashion show. So we love her. 
Yeah. Cardi's Which is, by smart. the way, as far as I'm concerned, like a shout out to like movies of yore where like the femme fatale would walk into court and have simply just a giant brooch. Like you had a testifying brooch that you wore. <laughs> <laughs> I also, you know, uh, it's funny to think about our chat about Nikki. Cardi tweets as much as Nikki does, but Cardi's not getting in that kind of trouble. She's done something where like her Twitter persona is lovable. Well, she's funny. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that is an interesting thing though because Nikki yeah. is very funny. She's but funny, Cardi but is, not Cardi cool. is determined to keep the funny light. Yeah, exactly. Cardi punches up; she doesn't punch down usually. You know. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. And Nikki just and, punches everybody. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> she's a rock and sock and robot. Um, <laughs> my keep it this week goes to the. For, so first of all, Adam Levine is a hoe. As we've all right. found out. But uh, a very pretty hoe. A very, very <laughs> he pretty, pretty hoe. He has a pretty symmetry. hoe. Facial he symmetry. Yes. Cheated, he cheated on his Victoria's Secret model um, wife, uh, whose name I unfortunately never know. Um, but <laughs> oh. um, shout out to her. Uh, but he cheated on her with some girl. Um, and it came out. And then we also found out that he wanted to name his child that his third child he's having with his Victoria's Secret model wife um, after Summer, the woman that he cheated with. Um, wild behavior. Wild behavior that yeah. men, that celebrities are just like full on having DMs still with women uh, on Instagram with like the verified sticker next to them. It's like people Haven't are going we to screenshot these. The Instagram DMs will get you. We know this by now. They always get we you. We know Maybe. this. Twitter circles are getting people now too. People are screenshotting the Twitter circles um, and showing people and that you're shit talking them. Yes. yes, right. But my keep it once again goes to how we could should have kept this story on Adam being a hoe. But once again, the internet needed to bring out their vitriol toward Maroon Five. And <laughs> you are I a stan. This I is legitimate. Not, I do not get why people are so aggressively angry at Maroon Five songs. Okay, they are. I'll tell you why. Like the, I'll tell they're you like why. the cars. Okay. No. Like, you, shut everyone your liked mouth. The cars back then. Shut. That like, is not even. No, sir. Don't you do that's, that, slander. I'm sorry, that's true, because uh, there are many Maroon 5 songs better than just what I needed. <gasps> <Ugh>. <laughs> here's, here's, here's everyone's problem with Maroon 5. You go back to that first album, Songs About Songs Jane. Songs About Jane. It was yeah. really, really good. It was a bait and switch. You were they used to a certain kind of sound, and then mm. it totally went to something like urgent care waiting room rock <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's really good but it's not what songs about jane promised me and that's i'm still fair. mad about that i'm mad that's about fair. actually can i say something that is actually how i feel about get ready black eyed peas i was about to say they were good at first they were yes. good at first they, they had that album with like macy gray on it with a, it was um, like neo soul line. rap for a little yes. bit yes yeah and you kind of thought that's what you were going to get and then it turned into like well, it's this, you know, consortium of yeah. TJ Maxx, Target, pop. and Urgent yeah. Care, and yeah. they all got together and made music that sounds like somebody threw a calculator down the stairs. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, don't <laughs> switch it up on us. Yeah. Be who you're going to be from the start. I will agree that they sold out, but, you know, I feel like some of the songs do hit. To me, What's the yeah, one that's like a sample of, like, Pachelbel's Canon? What's the, which the one? <laughs> memories, memories. What's that? Oh, one? right. Yes, yeah. the one with Ellen in the video. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. Girls that. like you. It's a good song. Not girls like uh, you. Oh, uh, the that's one, the one with Cardi. Listen, memories, I also, them, them memories don't let go. Uh, my, uh, listen, my love of anyway. My love of Bird Five also ignores the last two albums, but 
I go all the way up to payphone. Okay, payphone <laughs> and Not one more payphone. night. Okay, one more Over night's ex- good. Overexposed, good album. Not, just, not not the Maroon Five we were promised, but you know okay. it's like you meet a friend and they're cool, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then like a few years later, you see them like they're different. They gone through a divorce, or maybe they make a lot more money. They're like they're still the same person, but they got a different sort of like personality. You know, it's All um. Right. It's like a recast on a soap opera, okay? Oh, Lord. Like, oh, only Lord. Some, of my, some of the listeners will get this, but it's like uh, Patrick Muldoon on Days of Our Lives into Austin Pett. They're both Austin <laughs> Reed, but they're, they're, what, they're two different people. Okay. okay I will say, good. on that note, <laughs> there is an obscure, uh, not widely known Kanye West remix of This Love. It's really good. Go find it, listeners. You'll like it. Mm-hmm. I also, unfortunately, do to this day love moves like Jagger, which I mean is for if ever there was a a, a back to school kids commercial music. It's that. Why would anyone want to move like Jagger? He could not dance. Oh, don't start with that. He was seizing. He was seizing. Okay, well, that's what white people can do. Accept it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what white. And oh, sorry now. The white people are moving like Jagger in every TikTok video that they've released with um, with with Renaissance. And I'm like, I need white people to like mm. put down the album and stop dancing uh, yes, to I it. Agree. Or if I you're agree. gonna dance, do do dance like no one is watching, and make sure no one's watching <laughs> because people keep putting their viral videos. Uh, uh, people, see, people keep it's putting up much. like choreography videos, and I'm like, some of these aren't hitting the way you're thinking they're hitting. You're not eating. No. You look starved. <laughs> anyway. Um, that's all the keep it we have this week. Um, shout out to Andrew Rise Burrow. Uh, may she continue to rise in all of the boroughs. Yes, <laughs> mostly the Bronx. Okay, That's- <laughs> great food, underrated food. Okay, yeah. South Bronx. We love the Bronx. Shout yeah. out to Co-op City. Yes, <laughs> uh, and shout out to Sam Sanders for taking time out of his busy, oh, what a pleasure. busy multiple podcast schedule to be here with us. So good to be here with y'all. Listeners are going to say again, you can find me on Vibe Check on Wednesdays mm-hmm. and Into It from Vulture on Thursdays. And also while I'm here, my entire team maybe said, make sure to ask them to come on Into It at some point soon. This is a formal invite. You both are invited. Oh, all right. Oh, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to bring okay. it. So, yeah. yes, yes. Well, we look forward to it. We look forward I, to it. I thought I was blacklisted from Vulture, but, you know, I will come back. Not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> Where uh, is Ianla? Don't ask that question. You don't want to know. <laughs> wow. That, that should be the beginning of a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and don't forget to check out full episodes of Keep It on the Uncultured YouTube channel. And while you're at it, rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Remember, keep it five-star reviews are the only way we can continue to do our work, like getting people like Adnan Saeed out of prison. Okay? Um, You got to you gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. 
Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. Is it just me, or is it getting really hard to figure out the best way to save for retirement? Fidelity can help you find clarity so you can save the best way for you. With a free personalized plan, goal tracking, and timely insights, you'll be set to take on retirement your way. Get started at fidelity.com slash future. Expenses charged by your investments and other costs and fees associated with trading or transacting in your account apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.